Hey guys, if you like this podcast, if you appreciate any of the episodes and have found them helpful to you, would you please do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review? Those reviews really help this podcast reach more people, so I would so appreciate that. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Let's Sleep On It, Reclaiming Parenthood, the podcast, and I'm your host, Taylor Kulik, a sleep and well-being specialist and occupational therapist. My mission with this podcast is to examine the parenting narratives that dominate our culture and grow together as parents. Here, we will talk about biological infant sleep, as well as many other parenting-related topics, and you'll also hear real empowering journeys from parents who are parenting against the grain. I hope that you walk away from each episode feeling inspired, empowered, and supported. Please remember that none of the information shared in this podcast is medical advice, and you should always speak with a trusted healthcare provider if you have any concerns. Let's dive into today's episode. I want to share with you guys one of my all-time favorite companies. I'm passionate about this company. I've been using them for over three years, and they make some of the cleanest and most affordable personal care products for the entire family, personal care and wellness products. So they have herbal remedies and tinctures. They have personal care products. My husband and myself use their deodorant on a daily basis. And most recently, they've launched a home care cleaning line, which we now have transitioned pretty much all of our cleaning products over to their their cleaning products. So we use their cleaning spray and their dishwasher detergent and their laundry detergent and their dishwashing soap. And we have been so impressed with not only the quality and simplicity of their products, but also the affordability and small company, family-owned company experience that we get when we shop with them. So the company is Earthly and they are just phenomenal. You can go shop at earthly.com and earthly is spelled E-A-R-T-H-L-E-Y.com slash R-E-F slash T Kulik. Alternatively, you can thank me for your checkout. Um, Thank you. Thank me for your order in the checkout section. And you can use the code Taylor10 to save 10% off your first order. Hi, Danny and Paloma. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Would y'all mind just introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your background, how you got started, and what you do? Hi, we're so excited to be here. I'm Danny Paraconi, and wow, a journey it has been. I we have been on the brain organization journey for 13 years, and it started off when I was an ABA therapist and just felt like something wasn't totally clicking. So then I was on a mission to find something that would really bring things into a perspective of like really helping me see what was going on in in these kiddos that were really having some severe challenges. And I stumbled upon brain organization. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, this is me. I have a disorganized brain. And then it put my whole life into check. And I was like, holy cow, I have been living with a disorganized brain for 20 something years. The whole world needs to know about this because it's not just the people who have labels. It's everybody. Right. Um, And so I luckily found a place that was doing this work, got trained in it. And then Paloma, that's where actually Paloma and I met, which was a long time ago. And then I decided to go off on my own. And I was kind of like, if you build it, they will come. And so I just kind of threw it out there. I've had my 
one car garage at the time that I turned into a brain studio. People found me, started coming into my studio and it's kind of been history since then. And I've just been getting trained in brain gym and rhythmic movement and other primitive reflex integration and really just a ton of hands-on experience. And it's led us on this journey to um, learn so much more about the brain and how simple it is to reorganize. It's a quick nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> it- um, Go ahead, Paloma. Yeah, we always say you have the tools. We're just showing you how to use them, right? Like you have everything you need in your own mind and body. Um, we just have uh, a new perspective on how to use them. New that's actually not so new once we start talking about it because it's actually quite ancient. But um, yeah, I mean, that's how I met Danny. I found brain reorganization through my brother who was the typical struggle boss guy. Like he really like had all of the challenges you could possibly imagine, imagine social academic, um, you know, reading math, all of the things. And he did the program that where Danny and I met when he was about like 18 years old. And he just, it was the biggest shift you've ever seen in your life because he was one of those kids. And I'm sure some of your listeners will see, will, will identify with this smart, but scattered. And they really can't like those who know them, know their true personality, know their potential, know how smart and amazing they are and how much they have to give to the world, but it's really hard for them to sometimes shine or even, you know, survive, you know, participate in traditional settings, especially school settings. Um, So this really changed his life. And he is now the adultiest adult that I've ever met in my life. Like he's way more adult than like more, you know, organized and his brain is way more organized than most people that I know and meet that are, you know, older and wiser so to speak and so that really got me on onto the train too I was like this is amazing this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life and I dropped everything I I had started a business in Mexico City that's where I'm from and I closed it down and went to San Diego to be Danny's intern and just like learn 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 like crazy and she and I really always had that shared mission of like we want the entire world to know this whereas a lot of other people um that are doing, they're in this space, uh, haven't really seen it that way. So I think that's where Danny and I really clicked. And then when all this stuff uh, with COVID happened, we were like, okay, this is exactly the point, the time when we got to do this together and help everybody because everybody's brain is going into survival mode right now. Like it was, it was, you know, we've, we've been through it. I don't talk about it more, but uh, that's why we decided to do it online. And that's why, how it's been so amazing to meet people like you, Taylor, and people like all of our new members from literally all over the globe. We have people in Poland and Egypt and in New Zealand and Australia. It's been the coolest thing ever. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like the last few years, everything has kind of gone virtual, which we were talking before I hit record about how that's both a curse and a blessing because our we're not really wired to be virtual and have virtual connections with everybody but so many so many good things come from it too because it really gives people um, the ability to access information and services and resources that they may otherwise not have been able to access so I'm just so interested in this topic I am an occupational therapist by background um, I'm really into like neuroscience and the brain and like the primitive reflexes stuff but it's something that I didn't really get a chance to specialize in because I never worked with the pediatric population. And so um, I'm so I'm so excited to hear what you guys have to say about this. Can you first, so you talked about a disorganized brain. For people that maybe don't know what you're talking about, can you expand on what that is and what might be some signs that someone has a disorganized brain? Yeah. Yes. 
Do you want me to, I'll take this one. So yeah, we, we always back it up with, we explain in the first year of life, really starting in utero is where all of the brain development starts. So when we see that that way and we say, okay, so you have the, your time in utero. And then that first year of life is really setting your foundation for the rest of your life, because that's when babies are doing all these automatic instinctual movements that we're all wired and designed to do. And so when we miss out on certain stages of that, then it throws off the whole rhythm of how it's supposed to unfold. And then by the time we're upright and walking, everything neurologically speaking has kind of halted in what it was designed to do. So what we do at In the Cortex is we go back and recreate all those movements that were supposed to happen at certain times. So if you have a disorganized brain, you're somebody who, and we always say like, okay, imagine like when people are talking all these times, like about survival mode and fight or flight, we all think of like a caveman, like running down the street with like a spear in their hand. But in today's world, survival mode looks like road rage, looks like interpreting things the wrong way and then having a big blow up fight with a friend. It looks like asking your child to put on their shoes and them having a meltdown or sensory things where they can't eat certain foods, they can't wear certain clothes. And so it's all these little behaviors that start to stack. And by the end of the day, your brain's just exhausted because all they've been doing is surviving all day, trying to process out information that's not needed. And it's all happening on a very unconscious, subconscious level. And so this is where the cortex that's supposed to just be designed to be rational thinking, higher thinking, is now having to do all the jobs for those lower centers of the brain because it didn't get the development it needed. So what we do is we just recreate those movements that were needed to happen. And when you give the brain those movements, all of a sudden, all these things just go away. It's like, and people, when they do our program, they always sit there and go, oh, well, yeah, I guess maybe my son just matured, like a nine-year-old, just like matured in a month. We're like, okay, you could see it that way if that helps you see it. But that's the story every single time. Or adults just go, oh my gosh, I just paused and I didn't have to think about pausing and I didn't respond how I was going to respond in the past. And in the past, it was a reaction, right? So, um, so now they're able to stop and think. And so all these things come online and they just become effortless. And it's hard to sometimes even notice these changes because they're so subtle and they're so natural to how you are supposed to be reacting and responding to your life. And so for me, a disorganized brain was I was anxious as all get out. I was late to everything. I literally ran everywhere I went. Like that's some flight mode. Like, and I actually just told Paloma this the other day. I was like, I remember myself just running across my college campus like a maniac. But in my mind, it was totally normal. And people would look at me and I'd be like, just running to class because I'm always late. Um, and so that's a disorganized brain where you just can't do the everyday tasks. And by the end of the day, you're out of gas. And that's when people are just like, let's just veg out, watch TV. And we do other coping mechanisms just to get through the day. So um, that's, that's where we come in and just give you those simple movements, get the brain where it needs to go. And then all of a sudden your bandwidth increases. And now you're able to actually start smiling because you're like, wow, life is actually enjoyable. That is so wild to me because I have a very disorganized brain. I know that I'm, I typically describe myself as being constantly in fight or flight mode. But I've also, and I might be putting you on the spot here, but mm -hmm. there's so much information right now kind of in the mental health world about how our past trauma and 
communication patterns and styles that we were raised with also cause that. So I'm wondering what your take is on that. Like, is it a mixture of both? Is it really just more of this lack of a specific type of movement in childhood? Or is it the, the trauma piece or the communication piece and like the, the patterns that we're learning? Or is it both? It's, I'll take that one. It's, <laughs> it's really both. I mean, we've, we've, and this isn't the perfect way to talk about what the, the, the other part of our program, right? So we focus on four components. So the, the first three components are the neurological stuff that Danny's talking about. It's the creeping, which develops the pawns. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's the crawling, which develops the midbrain. It's the, all the other uh, movement patterns that integrate the primitive reflexes. And then the fourth prong, the fourth component is the subconscious beliefs. And so the way that we came upon this, upon this, we used to just do the brain stuff, right? So just the creeping and the crawling and the reflexes. And it was awesome. It was life-changing. And it was what my brother did, what Danny and I did originally when we did the program, right? And that was great. And we saw so many changes, but then after, you know, a few years, we'd be like, why am I still doing this thing or reacting this way or getting into this crazy fight or flight mode over certain in, in certain situations if my brain is already where it needs to be? Like I know it because I'm looking at it, right? I'm looking at my movements. I know that I'm not no longer in a fight or flight mode in terms of my neurological development. So what's going on? So that's when we started to dig into subconscious beliefs and the way that our brain perceives, like you're saying, trauma and other situations that happen throughout the throughout our day, throughout our life, um, especially in the first seven years of life. So the first seven years of life, be kids, not babies, are in what's called the theta state. So theta state is kind of like when you're like in a deep meditation, or um, sometimes when people are like, it's like a semi-hypnotic state, right? So theta is a download state and gives you access to the subconscious part of your brain. 90 to 95% of what we do every day is subconscious. That's sink in to your subconscious brain. It's insane. So 90 to 95% of that you have access when you're in theta. And so that's when kids in this zero to seven um, period are ab absorbing lessons and beliefs about the world, about themselves, about love about money about whatever it might be right that some of them are great some kids grow up with amazing beliefs about you know money is the one we always use for an example because everybody can relate to this right some people grow up with the belief that money is always going to be there money is always av available and they grow up and that's kind of the way it goes for them right whether or not they live they, they whatever their, their background might be it usually kind of like works out in the end and other people will grow, grow up with the opposite thought or the opposite belief from parents, caregivers, teachers, whoever it might be. Like, you know, the, the old saying, money doesn't grow on trees, so you better work for it. And so they believe that the only way to get money is to work, work, work really, really hard. And so that's what they experience in their daily life, right? So that's when a lot of, first of all, childhood trauma happens and can get very deeply stored in our central nervous system. And that's what can set those beliefs to kind of set us up for the rest of our lives. Does that make sense? So if you have certain beliefs, it's like you're putting on certain glasses, right? So you have the glasses of money is everywhere. This is great. I love it. Or you can have the glasses of, oh no, I'm never going to have money. This is terrible. I'm so scared. So one of those is going to put you in survival mode. One of their, those is not. You guess which one, right? So that's where the trauma part comes in. And if your brain is also underdeveloped, your lower brain is also underdeveloped, your primitive brain, meaning your brain is disorganized, then your trauma is just going to go 
way deeper because you're already in survival mode. So this is just kind of the world reinforcing. Okay, I knew it. I always have to have my guard up. Life is really hard and stressful, right? So you just continue to be in that survival mode situation and encounter more and more triggers every day, every week, whenever it might be, right? And we always say, you know, trauma, we talk about trauma as we think about trauma as, you know, it has to be like this one horrible thing that happened. And it's usually something really deep and really profound that changed you and that you'll never forget. But sometimes trauma is something really, really small. And you don't even know that it happened. You might not even remember. And it's something that happened one day when you were five years old and somebody made an offhand comment about your body or about men or about, I don't know, whatever it might be. And you have this now ingrained into your central nervous system because it was already primed to survive, right? So that's what the central nervous system is designed to do is to help us survive and to use these experiences so that we will never have to, so we'll always know how to respond in them, right? So if it's constantly perceiving threats and if you have a traumatic situation, then it's constantly going to be look, on the lookout for that. And that's that trauma response that puts you in fight or flight. It's like, I've experienced this once. I never want this to happen again. I need to be prepared. And that's why your whole entire body is processing the whole world as survival. And then you keep attracting those exact same situations because that's just how you're totally wired for it. And so that's where people will be if you have the one like men or whatever it is, a belief about certain things, and you keep bringing that into your life over and over until you start to recognize, oh my gosh, this is my subconscious operating because I'm trying to heal from this, but I'm not doing it in a positive, effective way. I'm doing it in a way where I'm just keep rehashing this trauma. And so this is where we help people really shift Okay, you're out of survival mode. And now let's dive into these subconscious beliefs. And then we help create awareness around them. Because most of us have no idea that we're doing certain things. Like how many times have you had someone say to you, oh, why do you do that? And you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know I did that. Holy cow. And then you start to really look at your life around you. It's such a great barometer as to what's happening with your subconscious. If you just look at what your experiences are, are you having great friendships? Are you having great times? Are you in that lack mindset? Like Paloma's talking about, are you just thriving and abundant? And so this is where you get to really dive into what is holding me back now because you're out of survival mode. So now you can address it. Yeah. I love that. That's really helpful. I'm, I'm a very visual person and in my head right now, I'm imagining like a pyramid and mm -hmm. I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but what, so I always talk about like regulation, co-regulation when a child is dysregulated, how we help them co-regulate, et cetera. And I talk a lot about how that it depends on where your child begins at a nervous system state. Like, is their nervous system already dysregulated and then something happens like they fall or they get a toy taken from them or something like the, your child who maybe is six years old can sometimes regulate on their own when something bad happens. But then these other times, maybe they're already dysregulated. So they're hungry or they're thirsty or they haven't slept well. And then another stressful situation happens on top of that. And then they can't regulate on their own. So they need co-regulation. So I talk about this a lot when people are like, well, what age can I expect my child to self-regulate? Because it really just depends and it's not a linear thing. And I'm kind of feeling like this fits in with that. And like at the bottom of the pyramid, it's, are we fed? Are we nourished? Are we, have we slept well? Are we loved? Um, are we safe? And then also is our, is our primitive brain developed and mature enough to handle this? And so if it's not, then everything just kind of piles on and creates even more dysregulation within the nervous system. 
Am I yeah. perceiving that yes. right? And this is a great thing to illustrate too, because we see adults that act like they're six years old. We see adults who completely dysregulate in public, right? And so this is where we love what we do because we get to explain the why behind behavior and really connect the dots as to why are you responding and acting this way? And it's not no person after they have a total, what we call pawns out session or just they pawns out. That just means like the lower center of the brain took over all rational thinking and there's no rational. You can even see their eyes dilate and just totally lose them. Um, no person ever wants to do that because every single time we've all done it, right? We all go into our ponds. We've all totally like screamed our heads off. And then afterwards we're like, oh my gosh, I am so embarrassed. Like, how did I, like, what just came over me? Right. And that was a perfect example of that lower brain being hijacked. And there's nothing you can do when someone goes into that state. So what we share with parents to help kids co-regulate you have to be calm because how many times when a parent goes, calm down and they're screaming at their kid, it's like, what a mixed message that is. Right. You're losing your mind and how am I supposed to stay calm? So our big part of our program is we say parents have to put the oxygen mask on themselves. They have to take care of themselves first before they can take care of their kids because you have to model what calm looks like. And, and this is, e it's so easy for us parents because I'm a parent. Um, to just go around and tell our kids what to do all day long, right? And then if we're not looking in the mirror and modeling this, and then all of it, like, I'll hear my kids. I don't know, Taylor, if you have, do you have two, you have kids, right? Yeah, I have two kids. Yeah. So you ever hear your child say something and you're like, where did they learn that? And then you start turning into your language and you're like, oh my gosh, I say that. Yeah. And I'll, I didn't even know I said that. And they are just parroting back to us what we're mm -hmm. saying. So we love, I love being a parent because it's putting the spotlight on me. It's like, where are my things that I still yet to go heal and take care of? So I don't pass them down to my children. And so that's the biggest piece of what we talk about is because all of this subconscious stuff is passed down generation after generation. And I really believe this is a generation since we have this connection to, to, to technology and information, we're becoming so aware of these patterns and we're starting to go, you know what? Our society's not doing so great. My parents have no emotional intelligence, but I'm learning this stuff and I'm going to teach that to my kids. So it's really about putting the spotlight on us parents and, um, and doing the work ourselves. And that is something that we're big believers in, in our program is you got to do the work with your kiddo because there's no better modeling than you working through it too. Yeah. I always say that parenthood, like your children are just a big reflection back to you of like all of your flaws and what you're struggling with and all of that. And it's really hard. Like the hardest part of parenting is being now hyper aware of where you need to do the work. Because if we don't do the work, like you said, our kids aren't going to, I, you know, I'm always like, my daughter is five and <laughs> she has a little bit of a tone and an attitude and she likes to yell. And I'm always so frustrated because she'll yell and she'll have this tone. And I'm like, well, why is she doing that? And then I listen to myself saying, Hey, quit the tone or like something like that or yelling. And I'm like, well, duh, it's because this is me and she's learning it from me. And how can I expect her to respond totally calm and in a completely neutral voice when I can't even do that most of the time as an mm -hmm. adult? Exactly. Yeah. And the best part too, is we, when I was in survival mode, my brain took every bit of feedback as an attack. So if someone said, why would you say that? I was like, oh my gosh, did you just call me blah, blah, blah. And I would just rage back. Right. But now that I'm out of survival mode and someone gives me feedback, like just the other day, someone's like, do you ever notice that you say what to your kids? And I'm like, or you say what all the time? Cause I'm asking, like, they're calling me from across the room. I'm like, what? And it's just comes across so <laughs> rude. Right. 
And I'm like, I had no awareness I'm doing that because now they're doing it. And someone from a third party, non-emotional party was able to point it out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to work on that. And so that's the biggest piece that Paloma and I also are on the rooftop screaming is, yes, there's things that you can do about all of this. Yes, it's a huge awareness, but you're hugely human and you're going to make mistakes. And that is our journey that we're on is that you're never done. So most people think, oh, I can just do this healthy restart. I'm going to get fit for a couple of weeks and then I'm done working out. No, like you don't clean your house once and it's done. It's a consistent daily effort of I'm working towards the best version of myself. And I'm going to have days where I'm off. I'm going to have days where I mess up and I'm human. So we also embrace that element and really helping parents know, get rid of the shame and the guilt. We're going to work through it. Um, and just embrace the mess ups because that's where you learn the most. And so that's where we're honest. I, I still have moments where I'm like, dude, I just pounced out on my kids. Like <laughs> I need to go get on the floor and creep out, but I do it in front of them because I'm like, look, mommy's making mistakes every single day. I'm not human. I never, I mean, I'm not perfect. I never expect you. I am human, by the way. <laughs> I never expect you to get it right perfectly. Like I want you to embrace the mess ups that are in your life because that's where you grow and that's where you learn the most. And so we'll get on the floor together and I'll just be talking out loud. Yep. Mom's totally in her pawns and she's getting herself out. And that's what we do here. Um, because those subconscious beliefs will rehash a lot of that primitive stuff. So it's a journey. And that's why we love getting to do this as like a daily practice. And yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Can you expand a little bit more on like why some people have a disorganized brain? I know you talked about these, these specific movements that they weren't getting, um, in those first few years of life, but can you expand on those movements and like what those movements are doing to the brain? to make it organized. Yeah, well, the, the the movements are just what we're naturally kind of programmed. We say programmed, but now that Danny said that she's not human, so <laughs> we're like robots or something. <laughs> but uh, baby, you know, the central nervous system, the brain is meant to design, to, to, is designed to develop in a certain way. And so that starts from the time we're in the uterus. So, you know, when you see like the cute little like legs popping out in the belly and they're like, oh, he's kicking me. He's also developing his brain or her brain, right? Because it's all through movement. That's how the set, if you think about it, it makes sense. The brain connects to everything else through what we have available to us, meaning our arms and our legs and our bodies and our torsos and our heads and our necks. So we need to really stimulate all of that in the first year of life. So the brain really gets clear on like, okay, what does this mean? How does this move? How do I interpret every single part of all these nervous terminations that I have throughout the entire body, right? So it starts in the uterus and goes usually through the first year to year and a half. Like you said earlier, it's totally not black and white because brains are brains and everybody's one's completely different. And I know this is always like, kind of like, people are like, oh wait, I really, I wish I knew exactly what it was. You know, it's kind of annoying sometimes when we get give that answer, but that's just life. Um, it's from zero, from the time they're in the uterus, a year and a half, they are designed to do certain movements. So it all starts, starts with the tummy time. So tummy time is what's gonna really prepare the baby to first of all, solidify that connection, that spinal cord connection between the brain and all the rest of those nerves, right? That's why it's so, so, so important to keep babies on their belly as much as humanly possible. Then they're going to start to figure out how to move their arms and their legs and hold up their neck and their head, which is very important, obviously, so that they start 
creeping and then crawling and then walking, right? So that's a progression that it go that goes in. Creeping is when they're like on their belly, kind of like sliding on the floor. Um, it kind of looks like an army crawl, but their hands are like out like this. Then they start crawling. Usually they start by like just rocking back and forth in place. And then they're gonna go on to walking. So what happens is usually either they didn't get enough movement because parents were busy and had a lot of stuff going on. They decided to put the baby in a playpen or in a little jumpy thingy or in a little walkie thingy, or there's all these different, you all know, the containers nowadays. Yeah. All those containers nowadays that it's not like, once again, like Danny was saying, we're not wanting to guilt any parents and this is just life, right? This is just the journey that your child is on and that you're on with your child. And if you had to do that for a while, then that's fine. Thank goodness you're listening to this podcast right now. And you know that you can do something about the movement that might have been missed, right? So what happens when we put them in these containers? And if it, if it's just, for example, a playpen, the issue is not that they're not going to get the movement. They're just not going to have enough space to move, right? So a baby's not really going to be ha- able to creep and crawl as much in a playpen. They also usually have a very soft bottom. So what you need is like a slick, hard surface for the baby to be able to move across, right? Um, and honestly, it's it it you need the baby. The baby needs more space to really explore. It needs to be like, oh, what's under that you know chair over there? Oh, cool, that thing looks shiny. I'm gonna go check it out. Bump his head a couple times. Run into the, the into the chairs and the people that are around there and learn. Oh, when I do that, that hurts, right? It's all part of the learning process. And then that's also once again how they're gonna get awareness of the crawling and then the walking. So what usually happens is. The babies are put into containers too often, or they are even from the very beginning, from the very first days of life, they're swaddled very often. So that also kind of like turns off some of the receptors that they have with their body. And it really puts the body into a um, understanding. This used to happen to my brother a lot. The body stops understanding how to regulate what you were talking about earlier on its own because it's already experienced such intense regulation by being scooped up. Right. Because that's talk about all those nervous terminations. They're like this. They're trying to learn. They're totally turned on, trying to learn and experience everything. So when you give them that intense kind of um, stimulation all at the same time, of course, that calms the nervous system and it will work in the short term and it will help the baby feel good there and then. But it's not helping them develop all of this really important connection, all these connections that they need. Um, And also what happens is sometimes there's trauma, like we were talking about earlier in the first years of life whether it's uh, something going on with the caregivers, other siblings, something that's going on with uh, living situations, that stuff can really, really set the brain back into that survival mode. And that can definitely, definitely, definitely trigger the fight or flight response. So even if a baby did enough creeping and crawling, um, they still have those primitive reflexes, right? And we can talk about that in a second. And if they are thrown into a survival situation, into a trauma, if they have some intense trauma in those first years, that's going to turn on. Their their primitive reflexes are going to turn on and likely stay on for a long time. So that's also part of having a disorganized brain. So can primitive reflexes be integrated and then turn back on? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And that's what they're designed to do. So they're designed to lie dormant until a true threat comes at you. So that's where you hear like moms can like lift up a car and Mm. save the baby from underneath. It's because that was her survival brain kicking into action. We want them to turn on if you're in a true survival situation. The difference is knowing what's true survival and what's a perceived threat. 
And so when you're wired to think everything's a threat, then that brain's just popping up all the time, constant cortisol, constant adrenaline pumping through your system. That was me. And then now my brain goes, okay, that's not a real threat. Cool. Oh, but I'm about to get like a car's coming at me. Like I want my brain to be in survival mode. And it's so that's why we say it's a lifestyle because you want to be constantly doing these movements to make sure your brain's staying in that cortex calm state. And I was going to add one more thing to Paloma's list is that there's a lot of environmental toxins, whether it be from things that we're ingesting, putting in our bodies, whatever it is, but those are enough. Like food dye is like my PSA, get that out of your kids' lives because that Mm -hmm. is a neurotoxin straight up. I mean, it's banned in most of the world. Um, Anything with those red, yellow, green, whatever, that stuff is a neurotoxin. I literally watch kids' um, survival brains turn on when they eat it and they'll start drooling, come up on their tippy toes. It's incredible what that's doing. That's just one item. There is a whole list of those, um, not to overwhelm you, but those are certain things that will also turn on the survival brain. Mm, that's so interesting. And, um, you know, Paloma, you, you mentioned that we're not ever like shaming or guilting parents Mm -hmm. and that's a huge thing. And unfortunately, when we're talking about things like this, especially with messages and information geared towards parents, it will often be misconstrued as shaming because it's really hard for, for people to hear information that may not align with decisions they've made or Mm -hmm. what they've done. Um, but I just think that parents have to have this information because right now we're being told by governing organizations and our healthcare professionals that crawling is unnecessary and it really doesn't matter. Um, And as an OT, like I've always known the importance of crawling, but we have so many people telling us that's not true and they don't, they don't actually understand the brain. Um, So parents have to know the truth about this stuff so that they can make informed decisions. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And I mean, there's such a part of, I mean, there's every day that I go, you know what? I know my child's about to go do X, Y, and Z, and I know the risk involved with it. And there's a huge moment of like, there's also a balance in it all too, right? Like Oliver, my kids, at least they do watch TV. They've seen, they've sit in front of a screen. Do we watch it all day long? No, but we have to have balance in life. So it's really important to, we always say, do what resonates with you. If it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, then don't do it. And that's the biggest piece of trying to discern all this information. But I agree with you. Why would the government say crawling is not important anymore when it's literally a basic fundamental skill that most babies have wired within them? Um, And we also talk about too, when the reflexes need to integrate and, and start setting themselves up, because that is truly what's happening. The baby's getting into position to come out into this world naturally. A vaginal birth is the ideal way to come out because when you go through the birth canal, it's creating that compression. It's getting that proprioceptive system primed and it's setting the brain and body up to come into the world. And if we bypass that and we know that there's medical emergencies and we know that there's other reasons why that doesn't happen, we don't want to shame you but you definitely see a shift in how that proprioceptive system, that's an innate sense of where you are in space will be on or hyper on or whatever the situation is. So there's things like that, that were like, Hey, if you can be educated before you have a child and learn the reasoning behind things, that would be amazing. That'd be ideal. And also Mm -hmm. for you, the parent who's carrying the child to be in a calm state because your stress passes straight down to baby. And, um, I mean, that was me with my first child. I definitely was a little stressed um, because it's a little scary. And I had a lot of brain work under my belt, but I did not have the emotional stuff. And so now with my son who's six, we're working through a lot of emotional things. 
Um, so there's no perfect. Everyone told me I was going to have a superhuman baby and I did, you know, I have a human baby and we have our challenges that we work through. So that's the, the cool part too, is that no matter what, knowing the information or not knowing the information, you're still not going to get it all right and perfect. There's no such thing. And right. so it's just more of coming from a space of I'm on this journey. I'm doing what I can, my, the best I can and removing the extra stress, removing that feeling of guilt and shame and just trying to hear information for what it is. And that's where doing this program helps put you into that space. So you don't feel like you're a bad parent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really has nothing to do with who you are as a person or a parent. It's really, you know, we, we live in an, unfortunately a world where every decision is neutral. That's mm -hmm. the message that's being sent. And that's just yeah. not true. It's just a lie. Um, I would, okay. I, I do have a question, yeah. Paloma, you mentioned swaddling and I know that there are going to be a lot of questions if we don't expand on swaddling, because that's like a hot topic, especially in the field that I work in is swaddling or not swaddling there. I know that there are a lot of opinions, like never, ever swaddle. It's horrible for development. My personal opinion is that I, I don't love swaddling. I don't swaddle my babies anymore. Um, but I do think that it can be a tool to be used for a short time, not like hours and hours and hours a day, a tool short time, but not like a long-term thing. So I would love to hear what your opinions on swaddling is. Absolutely. We, we agree with you and with, with what you're saying, because we never want to say like, don't you ever do this one thing? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's always situations for everything. Like Danny was saying, right? Like we can, nobody's perfect. There's always going to be a situation where you need a certain level of support. And actually Danny, what you were just saying right now about coming like a uh, vaginal birth versus like a c-section or I guess that's the only other option right mm -hmm. um but usually those are the kids who need the swaddling after all are the kids who were born through a c-section because they didn't have that initial like right like this is what when you are born through the birth canal there's so many different reflexes that learn how to turn on your brain is receiving so much information from all of its receptors um and you're getting all these hormones from the mom i mean it's a really like you know it, it's it's a, a process that's been designed over centuries right so there's a reason for everything that happens during the birth exactly. process exactly every single tiny little piece of it is really there for a reason and so that's one situation where you might see that a baby really does get crazy crazy dysregulated for um in those first days right and so swaddling in that situation might be an option for a baby who didn't have the chance to have that initial really intense proprioception from the mother for vaginal uh, birth right and there's obviously different ways that you can do it and like you said only do it for short periods of time and make sure that if you are swaddling your baby if you feel like this is something that they need like danny was saying if this resonates with you fantastic go ahead and do it there's definitely something you know there's always something to be said for a mother's instinct so if you're a mother who thinks this is what's going to go go uh, well for your baby, then go ahead. Just make sure that you're compensating for it as well with really focusing on that tummy time and focusing on giving them a lot of input and a lot of like opportunity to use their limbs and use the, you know, play with gravity and move around and pick their head up. You know, we talk a lot about also the swings where people put their babies on their back all day. Um, and so that's also counterintuitive to the brain. It's, it seems natural to us because we usually sleep on our backs, right? So it's like, oh, well, baby, he's hanging out there. He's able to, to see the world um, easier, right, from, from the back. But from a neurological perspective, if you look at a baby that's like, I don't know, four months old on their, on their back, what are their arms and legs doing? They're usually like, 
like like reflexively like punching the air and their feet are like punching out in the air, right? They're not they're not really purposeful movements yet because these babies are too little, even like two three months old. Um, but then what happens when you turn that baby, flip them, put them on their on their belly? Those movements become purposeful. So it's reflexive right now, but it's there for a reason so that the baby can start to understand, okay, so if I push here and this picks up my head and picks up my shoulders, oh, cool. So these things down there, those are called legs and feet. And that's just different ways, again, that the brain is designed to interact with the environment. So it's not definitely saying that it's going to, there, there's a lot of science on swaddling and what can happen with it. And we can um, definitely share some, some links but we're always about balance. So if it's something that resonates with you, we're definitely never going to say, you know, if there's anything wrong with any decision that a mother makes. And that goes with a weighted blanket too. So weighted blankets are all the rage right now, or they have been for a while. So using yep. them short, calm the system, get that off and then move through it. So just like what you said, Taylor, it's a tool but it shouldn't be your go-to mechanism for coping for everything. There is a reason that your system's dysregulating and let's get, we're believers and let's get to the root. Let's get to the foundation of why things are a little skewed. And so that's where we pull into us. That's where we even tell parent, parents, if their children are on meds, that's okay. Like we get that you needed the break. We get that your child needed the break but we can't be on meds for your whole life because we've seen the studies on what happens with that. Like you're not actually getting to the root of why there's a dysregulation. And we've seen so many of our participants come off of all these things and then just function how they're intended to. I, so I'm thinking right now, like as an OT, one of our big focuses in school with the pediatric population was sensory processing. And this, I, I would imagine that this relates a lot to what you're talking about, but in school, you know, we don't really talk about like, what is the root cause of those sensory processing differences? We just talk about how to provide the appropriate sensory inputs to help regulate the nervous system. But would you say that this could actually I don't want to say cure, but resolve some of those sensory processing challenges and differences. Absolutely. Like, is this, I mean, the, this is it. the root cause for some of that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We've seen it time and time again. And a lot of the sensory stuff, for example, comes from um, the midbrain, well, from some of the reflexes, but also from the midbrain. So the midbrain is a part of the brain that develops when you're crawling. Um, and it acts as a filter for the rest of the brain. I will say this very openly because people like comment things that, when I'm not very clear. So it's not an actual filter. It's not literally filtering things in your brain. It acts as a filter, right? So this is a metaphor. So it helps your co cortex and your higher functions understand what's important now and what can wait for later. So it's able to help you prioritize all the incoming stimuli, both physical and mental, you know, ideas and all that stuff. So a lot of the time when people have a disorganized midbrain, they have a lot of sensory issues, whether it's vision, hearing, a lot of the time, hearing is a huge one. That's one of the biggest regressions that I had when I um, started re reorganizing my, my midbrain. We usually, when you start re brain reorganization, you have a little period of regressions where you see things start to get a little bit more challenging. And that's, we always say, it's like when you're cleaning out the closet, you got to get everything out and then organize it and put it back in. Um, that was my, my auditory pro processing was, and I couldn't hear anything. Everything was the same volume. And um, that has a lot to do with the way that our brain is processing uh, all of the senses. So the midbrain, once it's developed and it's finished, is understanding what each, um, kind of like how to really efficiently process what's going on in your life and in your brain and your body then a lot of those challenges subside. And I, I'm one of those people who I really had a lot of sensory issues, even 
when Danny met me, I didn't eat like avocado. I didn't eat so many things and I'm still, you know, still working on it. Like Danny said, we're still human. So I still don't eat every single thing ever, but like smells, um, any sort of textures, tags on my shirt would drive me insane. It would ruin my day. Like I could not, it was, it was really, um, debilitating at that point and that's something that completely has gone away and now if I feel it I'm like oh that's annoying okay whatever I'll just go on with my day it's not the biggest deal in the world it's not a life death situation mm. very cool and there I was gonna say too because we're working on an in-school program because we're big into let's help these children who've had the craziest two years of their lives I mean it was a lot for us adults right but for kids that was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, get back into school again. And most of them are coming from really chaotic situations, depending on your background and where you're at. But the biggest thing is helping teachers get educated in what's going on. Because let's say Sam or Johnny, whoever shows up at school, they're not trying to be the kid who's disruptive and always getting in trouble. They just can't do what we're asking them to do. And so when we tell teachers, it's like, okay, tell them to pay attention. And on the subject of sensory processing, they're like, to what? The lights, the pictures on the walls, the kid tapping his pencil next to me, the kid walking behind me, everything is coming in at the same frequency and and level that I can't regulate it out. So these are the ones that are just rocking in their chairs, right? Because, hey, okay, cool. Now I can pay attention or they're the ones tapping their feet. And so if you look at a classroom of kids, you can just see where the sensory processing is for each child. And some of them have now created these barriers that they put up on their desk because they can't block out the information. But these are compensations and they're only as great as your compensations. And my compensations all fell apart when I went off to college. I didn't have my parents to help me regulate. So this is why Paloma and I are on this mission to share this because you're only as good as your compensations and usually compensations begin to fall apart because you can't keep it all in the air at all the time. So um, this is where just really helping parents understand and teachers understand that no one wants to act like this. No one wants to be like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about like what this brain reorganization process program looks like? What are, I know you've talked a little bit about the movements that are important, Mm -hmm. like crawling and creeping. Um, but what other types of movements are people doing? Is it, is everybody doing the same movements or is it individualized to each person? We, um, have designed it. So it's all general, right? So everybody's doing it together or everybody's doing the same movements. It's a 12 week program and we are working you little by little starting you out with maybe six to seven minutes per day working your way up to maximum 20 minutes per day of movement um and the rest of the movements that we do so it's creeping and crawling the level one is the first six weeks and then level two is the second six weeks so level one you're doing creeping as your main like movement um the main brain development movement and then level two you add in the crawling but throughout the whole program we're doing the primitive reflex integration movements um and so those are all patterns that you have done as a baby that most babies like danny was saying are 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 designed to do naturally um and you're just recreating them they're very simple and we have tons of modifications for different ages or different different movement levels right because some people have more challenges with certain movements um, and it's all designed so that you can do it at home and it's like all online. And the reason we did it that way is because a lot of the other brain reorganization or similar programs to us um, out there are really, 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 really expensive and really just um, 
it's it's not affordable for the general population. So we designed it this way that it's a little more general, but usually most people need be, to work on these primitive reflexes anyway, and doing it is not gonna harm, it's never gonna harm you, it's right. just a little more exercise, right? Um, and so these are also the ones that we've seen most people have retained. So we're working with the Moro, the, the symmetrical tonic neck reflex, the fear paralysis reflex, the uh, tonic labyrinthine reflex, and all of these different reflexes throughout the 12 weeks. And then at the same time, after week four, we're gonna start working on the subconscious beliefs like we were talking about earlier. So interesting. So um, if if somebody like can't afford a program or your program, could they just start getting on the floor with their kids and crawling? And would that be helpful at all or not really? Good question. Yeah. This it would. Lot. Yeah. We get a lot of that on Instagram and TikTok right now of people sending us their videos and there is certain things that need to go first. And so there is a progression. It's not going to harm you to get on the floor and crawl. Absolutely not. Like get on the floor, crawl. We see it all the time. But if you're actually working towards, Hey, I really want my life to shift. It's really helpful if you actually have a program to follow. So you know what to look for, what to tune into. And, and there is some stuff behind it that you need to understand. And there is a hierarchy. You got to start with the creeping. The creeping is the foundation. Then you got to move on to the crawling. And then at the same time, we're bringing in patterns at certain times. So there is a progression to it, but you're not going to hurt yourself crawling around. We actually have had a lot of people recently reach out saying, oh my gosh, I just started crawling. And then I got through my whole to-do list today. Like what? And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty common in the changes that'll happen. But is that going to last? Is that going to be solid? Probably not because you need to get to that emotional foundation first mm-hmm. and, and a really easy way to look at it. So the zero to five months of life is when you're on your belly creeping. That's really taking care of that fight, flight, freeze reaction. And that's really where all of the emotional stuff comes from. That's where we're triggered and we're always taking things the wrong way and having explosive reactions. Then that brain will then do what it needs to do. Then we move on to the six to 12 months where babies are typically crawling on hands and knees. That's the midbrain. That's really... The organization, like Paloma talked about, the academic stuff, the transitioning, the being able to go with the flow, seeing the big picture, that sort of thing. So you want to have that emotional brain intact before you start tackling all the higher functions that need to come next. Because what happens is if you just crawl and you just focus on the organizational thing, one person coming in and cutting you off while you're driving is going to throw you completely out of whack and then you're totally out of alignment. So that's why we say there is a total progression to it but you're not going to hurt yourself doing any of this because these are movements that are all within you. But like Paloma mentioned earlier, there are a fa- there's a phase of regressions where people start in like week one, two, or week one and two. They're like, what's going on with me? Why am I more angry? Why am I more impatient? Why do I feel like I want to just rage against everybody? And we're like, oh, that's regression. Celebrate. That means your brain is literally getting rid of the stuff it doesn't need anymore. And these are all things that you have within you. So some kids go back into um, wetting the bed. Even I've had adults that have wet the bed because they've been trying to work through it their whole lives. They never got that reflex integrated. And then all of a sudden it kicks it out for the last time. And now they're through it. So we've seen a lot of crazy things happen when the brain's going through that period. And it would be nice to have some support where you're like, is this normal? Am I experiencing, <laughs> uh, is this what I'm supposed to experience? Um, so we just cheer you on. And we're at right now in the phase two where we field all of our emails and Instagram messages and we're there to support you on the journey because we know it's not the normal approach to how you would go about doing things differently. But I think there's a huge space where people are ready for it. And so we're we're ready to support people on this journey. And so if there are things that come up, 
you can always book a private session with us and we can help guide you through something deeper. But to this day, most of our participants can get through that 12 weeks and they see tremendous life changes. And a lot of the times they don't reach out to us and they're just plugging away. So it just depends on you. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, I have two more quick questions okay. for you. Okay, so one, I would love to hear quick thoughts on sleep, tra- non-responsive sleep training based on like a brain and neuroscience perspective. This one is um, a tough one. I have a very strong opinion on my personal side, but again, I don't want anyone to misconstrue this and feel like it's uh, shaming you. But also know okay. that I am a non-sleep training like advocate. Okay, so <laughs> this pod, like most of the people listening to this podcast, also have pretty page. strong okay, feelings good. about okay. not sleep training or are wanting to learn. Okay, so cool. Just, maybe that will so, help. So yeah, and I, I mean, I was a home birthing, um, co-sleeping parent. I'm a big believer in attachment parenting because here's the thing: go back in history. How did we do things many, many, many years ago? It is recent that our allopathic medicine has come in and taken doctors as these like main people that say this is how it needs to go overriding our mother's instinct. So we are believers in tapping back into that and really trusting it because what we have innately in us is so powerful and we have lost trust in ourselves. So we're big into bringing that back. So for me, it never made sense to me to put my baby in another room and let them cry it out because they're crying for a reason. There's a need that needs to get met. And like an an infant does not know how to regulate. It doesn't matter where you're at. Their whole job is to be clung to mom. Look at all primates in the wild. They have babies on their backs. Like they're constantly carrying them around. It's innate in us. And the fact that we're separating our babies is kind of crazy to me. And from a neurological standpoint, it's very damaging um, because our babies are crying and crying and crying. I need needs to get met. And then eventually we give up. And so that creates some subconscious stuff. People were asking about this on Instagram. What does it look like down the road? I can't specifically say that instance is going to create a serial killer. I can't say that, right? But there's definitely something that goes on neurologically where maybe I don't look at, reach out for help anymore because when I cried and cried and no one was there, I'm now I'm alone, right? So we can't specifically say that's going to create that, but there's definitely stuff happening neurologically speaking. So I'm a believer if a baby is crying, there's a need that needs to get met, let's meet it. And then once we get to a certain age, if we followed all the reflex stuff and we're on board and we know our child's at a specific place and can handle X, Y, and Z, now we teach them the tools to become independent because the ultimate goal is for our children to go off into the world and not need us, right? And so much of our society is still clinging on to their parents because we were never taught the independence piece. We're taught codependence. So we're like, now let's teach the skills on how to get there. So I do think that there's a time for that code, that regulation, that attachment, and then move away from it when we're ready. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that that future independence, when the child is ready, when they're developmentally appropriate comes from a foundation of being allowed to totally depend. Otherwise, you often see the codependency or the child who feels like they're not connected, their attachment needs aren't met, they aren't secure in their attachment relationship. So they're always seeking for more connection. And that creates this like vicious cycle of like, my child is too dependent on me when they're older. Yeah, 100% true. Yep. We're on the same page with that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. 
Um, last question, either yeah. one of you or both of you, this is kind of putting you on the spot, but can you share an example of like one of the coolest stories or transformations you've um, seen somebody go through, through brain, brain reorganization? I have a really good one that I recently shared on a call. I have a free 15 minute call for anybody that has any questions. And Dan, this was when we were still. Um, so there was a family that would come in for, we should, of course, we used to do in-person sessions. So the kids would come into Danny's basement and we would creep and crawl around there. It was super fun. And coming in for a kid who was maybe five or six years old. And the mom would always bring her baby. It was a tiny little, maybe three to four month old, maybe six. He must probably, must have been about months. But I remember that she would always bring these little milk, like, like uh, half and half packets. And we were like, what's going on? <clears throat> One day we asked her what's going on. She said, oh, he, uh, he won't eat anything. Like he really refuses to eat anything, anything, anything. Um, he only will eat these milk packets and he must've been actually older now that I think about it. But anyway, he was super, super skinny. He couldn't, you know, he was just like this, this, this kid who like wouldn't really move that much. Remember? And like Danny and I being in movement as, you know, a profession, we were like trying to get him on, the, on his belly and stuff. He had a lot of retained primitive reflexes. His teeth weren't coming in. So it was clearly like a, a, a whole like development thing that was going on. And he was always sleepy. I remember that he was all, remember he, she would like hold him and he would always kind of be sleeping and not really engaging with the world Wait, around. Sorry. Very worried I think him. you were breaking up and a little bit. Is this the baby or the five-year-old that you're talking no, about? No, this is the baby. This okay, is the baby. Okay. So the five-year-old was creeping and crawling around doing the program. And then I left for Mexico city for a few months and Danny kept doing the program with them. And I remember at the time I left, they were like, let's just try to get this baby on the floor. Let's, let's get this baby creeping and crawling and see what happens. And I came back like three months later, four months later, and we had another session. I think another parent brought the, the kid in and I saw this chubby, chubby, funny, hilarious, baby who was like talking to everybody and like screaming and grabbing because I was like oh my god who is this you're so cute it was this new baby and it was the same kid it was the <laughs> same exact kid three to four months later who had done the brain development was now reaching for things crawling interacting happy 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 as can be making eye contact doing all of the things that babies um, are expected to do because he did the, the program and that was just the coolest Thing, it was just so palpable. And I remember the parents being like, this is the coolest thing ever because they were so worried about the baby before. And then they just got him on the floor, did the program. And he, he just kind of like went back into the lane that he, he was meant to be in, in terms of development. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I have two. So for me personally, mine are two stories I can really highlight for me. It was my journey and really my whole life. I just thought this is how everyone lived with anxiety. I thought it was normal to be a hot mess. I thought that was totally on key. And this is just life is hard. That was me. Once I organized my brain and it all went away and I, we also don't like to say cure. It just resolved. It just, the real me came out. That was when I was like, oh my gosh, everyone needs to know about this because there's people out there that are struggling and there's a simple solution. So that was my big aha moment. I have to do this. And I also had a brother who had a lot of challenges growing up and brought me into this world. But then the second one was we, I've actually worked with someone who's missing the corpus callosum. That's the bundle of nerves that connects left and right sides of the brain. And she would start to write a paper or whatever. We would do lazy eights or something. And she would stop at her midline and have to pick up the pen and finish with the other hand. She couldn't cross the midline. And after just a few weeks, 
she started crossing her midline with one hand. And this is my favorite part about this is we have the people who have tried everything. They've gone to the doctor and the pediatrician says, oh, they'll grow out of it or just give them meds or whatever it is. And they've had so many no, no, no's in their lives. And a lot of our calls lately have been like, can you offer me some hope? And we're like, heck yes. Like the brain is absolutely amazing and so plastic. It will find a way to make something work. If you don't have a certain part of your brain, it can override it and figure out a new way to get around. And that's what the best part about this is, is the things that people have said, my child will never speak. They're now talking. And we have, I mean, a parent almost crashed her car one time because her child in the back seat, who is six years old, he's deemed to never speak his whole life. He just blurts out a whole sentence. And she was like, what just happened? And almost crashes because she's like, I never thought he would speak. So we see so many radical changes and so many parents that have been told, no, you can't do anything about it. Just accept it. That's the way it is. And Paloma are like, no way, no way. Like I've experienced the changes. We've seen changes for 13 years now. Anything is possible, but the biggest piece is you have to want it. You have to want the change. And so many times in our instantly gratifying world, if we don't see it within the first two weeks and I have to keep working towards something, parents are like, I'm out of here. But having communities like yours, Taylor, those are the parents that are hungry, that'll go to the end of the earth to help their children do whatever it takes. And those are the people that have the biggest changes and experiences of what brain organization can do. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so glad y'all came on. Um, I learned so much from you. Can you tell everybody where they can find you if they want to learn more or if they're interested in your program? Yeah, for sure. It's in the cortex.com. So our company is called in the cortex, in the cortex.com. Instagram is in the cortex underscore us and TikTok is in underscore the underscore cortex. Um, and all of our information is on there. You can also just email us at hello at in the cortex.com. And like Danny said, it's the two of us answering all the emails. Awesome. And I'll link all of those things in the show notes so that you can access them easily. Thank you guys so much. Um, I know that my listeners are going to be so interested and excited for this episode too. So thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having us. Danny and Paloma were kind enough to give us an amazing discount code for their uh, their program. So you can get 12% off with the code Taylor. And I have linked all of their websites in... Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and leave a review if you feel called to. It really helps our message reach more parents. You can also follow me on Instagram at Taylor Kulik for similar content or visit my website at www.taylorkulik.com. I offer online courses where we really dive into infant and toddler sleep holistically. And we also offer one-to-one holistic sleep support services if you're looking to improve your child's sleep or shift patterns without sleep training. If you know a parent who would benefit from this podcast, please share. And if you'd like to financially support this podcast to allow me to create more episodes more often, you can visit anchor.fm slash Taylor I hope you'll join me next time.